We've just had a few days of respite from the craziest temperatures, but this summer's heatwave has felt unusual. Hot town summer in the city. As the mercury rises, the streets are a haze. Parts of the UK are currently hotter than the Greek capital Athens. Well, mid-30s is hot enough for anybody, really, and we're certainly getting that uh, today. 27, this is the temperature at 11 p.m. Parks turning to dust and reservoirs running out, record temperatures and sweeping fires. Japan and South Korea have already set national new temperature records, and Algeria has equaled a temperature record of highs of 51 degrees. The big question is... ...green landscapes into brown, crunchy fields. Changes that are even visible from space. In the Pennines, Saddleworth Moor has become a tinderbox. It feels as though, this summer, we've had a glimpse at what our new normal might look like. You reckon a tripling of heat-related deaths by mid-century, is that right? Yes. It's a disaster on a global scale, and it's been taking hold for some time. So why aren't we in a panic? Today, on the Weekly Economics Podcast, we're talking about the heat wave. I'm Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay with us. Well, the sorts of temperatures that are occurring now would have been a one in a thousand occurrence in the 1950s, and now they're about a, a one in ten occurrence. This is just the start. So we were going to make this episode a sizzling summer special and record it in the park, maybe have a barbie and a beer, but like every British barbecue that's ever happened, it got colder and then it rained and we're having to do the burgers under the grill in the kitchen, metaphorically speaking. So here in the usual studio, I'm really pleased to be joined once again by Dave Powell, Head of Environment here at the New Economics Foundation. Hi Dave. Hello Asia. Lovely to have you back this dreary, dreary room. Okay, so you've written a couple of posts lately, one for Neff and one for businessgreen.com, about how you've been feeling a bit Tom York lately. <laughs> yes. what, what's going on? Coming over a bit Tom York, yeah. which is never a good thing to come over. <laughs> well, um, th- this is the, I think the heat wave is the closest I've come, I think, in my professional career of doing stuff about the environment and indeed my life. And I've been at this for a while. It's the closest I've come to having a, a genuine kind of freak out about climate change like intellectually i get it we all get it like it's a massive it's a massive problem but it's always if i'm being totally honest it's always felt like i still get to go home at the end of the day and have a beer and go to bed and it's not a massive problem it hasn't felt here it hasn't felt real which i think is probably a kind of symptom of living in a nice rich western kind of country where you know your air conditioning and whatnot but the heat wave has really started to freak me out. Like, I found myself starting to get quite unsettled by it. Was it 52 days in London without much rain, if any rain to speak of mm. at all? And when it did finally rain a couple of weeks ago and the thunderclouds burst, it felt so weird. Like, this yeah. wet stuff was coming out of the sky. And then after that, the birds started to sing again. And I realised I hadn't really heard birds And a couple of days later, you'd start to see green shoots coming out of the park. But the parks had gone... They turned to, as you said at the start, they turned to dust, you know. And it was just this feeling that I had that something isn't right here. It was kind of unsettling. It was like in, in, in the best horror films. They're not the best horror films, aren't the ones that kind of grab you and shock you. They're the ones where you go, oh, there's something under my floorboards that I don't yeah, like. Eerie. Something eerie, pulling mm. back a curtain on reality. So I, I did a couple of bits of writing about that and starting to think about, I'm not the only person who's been feeling that. You go to, shops and you just hear people talking about climate change you know it's it's a it's a thing and it, people are starting to go hang on a minute this isn't right is it 
So do you think people are connecting the heat wave to climate change? I, I don't know what... Like people who are not, you know, not climate change scientists, but your everyday people in your shop, are they connecting it? Well, that's my totally anecdotal yeah. feeling based on people who shop in Crystal Palace. Yeah. yeah okay. uh, what that tells you about um, people in the rest of the country, I... I don't know. Mm. That's my feeling is that people, I mean, people are grabbing hold of me and talking about the environment, you know, and they're, they're, you know, I did my recycling the other day. I'm like, very good, very good. Yeah. Choices, you know, and then they, they, they green. Exactly. Um, but I've had so many people coming up to me and going, oh, it's climate change, isn't it? Conversations with my mum and dad. That's a good way of gauging this, where they bring it up. You know, this is climate change, isn't it? Mm. Um, and even if people aren't actively talking about it, I don't think my, my hunch is somewhere in the back of people's heads there's this sense that that isn't right, mm. that isn't on. And you can see actually in the defensiveness of the kind of, you know, increasingly fringe climate sceptic people who now, frankly, are not listened to at all. But when you see their stuff, all they're saying is, but it's been this hot before, you know, in 1976 yeah. once, ignoring the fact that three of the hottest four Junes ever have been in the last four years, you know, ignoring that right across the world we're experiencing a global heat wave of totally unprecedented proportions. That in the Arctic Circle, in the Arctic Circle, there were wildfires. Wildfires here in Saddleworth Moor near Manchester. Um, 33 degrees up in that planet it got or something like that. This all starts to sink in and starts to, starts to resonate, I think. Mm. I'm going to read you the front page headline of the Daily Express. Don't do that. <laughs> I have to, I have to. So it's, it's written down. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, £31 billion boost to the economy, staycation Brits spark business boom britain's record-breaking heat wave is providing a bumper brexit home spending bonanza obviously <laughs> that was alliteration i don't know if you got that nice. very short-sighted but has there been any response from the left on these climate stories yeah uh, interesting one huh? so it's very easy to have a pop at the daily express for all of their total garbage they write about climate change you know even, and it's worth noting, actually, that some of the newspapers on the right who have traditionally been, you know, the biggest problem on climate change, denying the science, even, you know, The Sun had a front page at the peak of the heat wave in which it said on the front page, experts warn climate change is going to make this worse. You know, now that may not seem like it's a change, but it really is. That is a sign of how something has moved. But actually, in general, right across politics, including the left, there isn't enough of a response to climate change, that it's just not there. You know, the government was saying very little about how this heat wave was, was evidence of something horrific happening to the climate that we are causing. And we could be at the start of, potentially at the start of an escalation of climate change that could wipe out huge swathes of life on Earth, people, animals, habitats. The government aren't saying much about it, but neither uh, Labour, you know, neither are huge amounts of the progressive left. In general, basically people in general are not, saying enough about it which is partially understandable because it's a kind of big discombobulating thing you know our brains don't process this stuff very well we'll talk about that in a minute maybe i don't know mm. but climate change is first and foremost and this is why i care about it it's a story about justice it's a story mm. about fairness like all environmental problems climate change is caused by the richest people 
and it impacts the poorest people. Be that within countries where you get stories of it, you know, increased heat waves causing vulnerable old people to die in their houses, or, or around the world where it's the poorest countries, it's low-lying countries where stuff is already marginal. Agriculture is already touch and go. You know, floodwaters already claim lives in places where these countries aren't overwhelmingly white and they aren't overwhelmingly rich. And those are the places that climate change really bites. Intellectually, that argument is one in the left. You're not going to get people who don't get that, you know. But it's not. It's still not kind of core to where the left at the moment, or the right for that matter, mm. sees its direction for the UK economy. There's something we haven't made that leap yet between the what we know intellectually to be true and what we feel in our guts when we wake up in the morning. My sense is that something might be starting to change in that, but it's not happening as fast as people would like. Mm. So just to stay on that, on the stuff you've written recently for just for a second obviously there was quite a strong response to the stuff that you were saying about about people on the left and whatever how how did how did that manifest what were were people coming for you with pitchforks no i i thought that so i I put this blog out which basically said it's easy enough to kick the government and everyone does but we all need to look at ourselves including the left and i thought what would happen was i would get as you say chase down the street with uh, red pitchforks. But I didn't. Actually, most people that responded to it and, you know, social media, right? You know, mm-hmm, things yeah. that I saw in my circle, of, but also conversations that I had with people. No one denies it. There is no denying that it's a, it's a thing. I've had some interesting conversations with the union movement who are in a really interesting place here because unions represent workers across the economy. Some of those jobs are really well-paid, good jobs, Good in the sense of you know highly unionized, very important to communities, uh, decent terms and conditions in industries that climate change implies heavily can't be around for much longer. And global economic forces are chipping away at as well. You know, uh, the steel crisis in Patalba is another kind of example of that. What do unions kind of do in this? You know, what you need is a national plan where everybody who currently has jobs in fossil fuels can see that things will be better in 10 years' time when they might not. But we don't have that sort of industrial relations structure in this country. We've had 40 years of transition, and indeed fossil fuel transition, being associated with the desecration of the coal mines in the 1980s and everything that's gone on since then. So quite rightly, some unions who have members in those areas are a bit like, well, hang on a minute, like, this isn't, why would we, why would we back this? You know, you don't get a shred of disagreement on the argument that we all need to come together and do something about it. The question is what that, what that is. So I want to spend a lot more time over the next six months to a year, really trying to understand what is it that we do about this? How do we create a brilliant, thriving, fair economy, which has justice at the heart of it, which is creating jobs in an economy that is green? How do we do that? Mm. What do we need to do about how workers express their voice in this economy? What do we do about the housing crisis? What do we do about all these things that are all part of the same economic challenge? We need to do that all together. But the first thing I wanted to do was say we do have to do something about it. Because if all parts of the political spectrum, certainly the major parties, are not putting this front and centre, it isn't going to change, at least politically. So you'll be free then quite a lot over the next six months to a year while you're trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be available for whatever you need. Drinks. Okay, cool. So before we get on to what we need to do, you said earlier that people feel a kind of sense of unease about climate change, a bit eerie, but not fully freaked out. Um, And maybe that's because our brains can't can't process this sort of big threat properly. Um, Why do you think that is? I don't know. I mean, you, how do you feel about it? 
Sorry if well, you're turning it back on you. No, but, uh, I think it's because when you were saying it actually earlier, I was like, yeah, I think that um, that resonates a lot, the idea that you know something is happening and something, you know, and it feels eerie and it feels not right. But until you wake up and it's a disaster movie and Denzel Washington is banging on my door and telling me we've got to go, it doesn't feel, you know, like impending doom. And the idea that like we're hurtling towards this terrifying future where the, the world is no more is, yeah, it's so huge and hard to conceive of that you can't even really engage with it, can you? But but I, I agree that this summer's felt like the first time where it's like, yeah, something's really not right. And I think, especially being in London, how kind of like suffocating and inescapable the heat has been oh, yeah. and like, you know, on the tubes, people literally like people fainting and throwing up next to you on the tube because they're so hot and just feels like feels like the start of one of those movies. It really does. It does, doesn't it? But yeah. I don't know what to do about that. No, and I think, I mean, all I can, I can't speak for anyone other than myself, really. I've been trying to be quite sort of personal in the stuff I've been writing. All I know is I, I don't think I have the evolutionary toolkit to comprehend the end of all life on Earth in a sense that actually brings it home. Like, the economy that I've been raised in, the country that I've grown up in, the privilege that I've had, everything really about who I am, everything's all right in the end. That's mm. the story that we're told. You get to go home and you get to go to bed at the end of it and everything mm. is fine. And, you know, you could you could make a case for, I'd, I, this is whether this is true or not, I don't know, but we evolved to see the threat of a tiger in a bush and not worry too much about the threat of a million tigers coming over the hill tomorrow, you know. Mm. I just think it's a massive, massive thing to get your head around. And then there's this, this huge agency problem, as you say, even if you could comprehend it. What are you going to do about it? What can mm. you do tomorrow? I mean, there are answers to that. You know, badger your MP about it. Move your money out of fossil fuels. Demand that every penny that your money is used for is used for the right thing. You know, get active in your local community. Have conversations with people. All these things. There's been no shortage of blogs of mm. people saying, here's all the stuff you can do, which I totally agree with. But if you're, if you, the enormity of what it is we might be potentially about to do, there are scenarios under which. A report came out last week, uh, this hot house earth thing that you may mm. have seen talked about. Um, a report basically came out and said, if we let temperatures rise by something like 0.8 degrees more than they have since pre-industrial times, which isn't much at all, that's your two degrees. If we get there, we basically can't row it back. What happens then is you start to unlock greenhouse gases that are saved, that are stored up under the permafrost. You start to set in train this planet changing, the sort of thing that wipes things out over millions and millions of years. We start to set that off and it's done, you know, and that is a mass extinction on a global scale. Getting your head around that is an extraordinary thing to do and i think we we may ultimately get there i don't think we have the time for that to happen but my what the main point the main optimism that i draw from this i've been really challenging i guess questioning myself of where is my optimism where does my optimism yeah. come from because i don't think anyone in our line of work therefore or beyond is fundamentally pessimistic mm. and possibly i've watched too much star trek as a kid or something <laughs> like that i don't know but i think i'm optimistic that we are capable as a society of living in a way that actively welcomes nature and the environment and runs an economy within it and treats people fairly and puts different principles than the one that Western economies have at their heart anyway for what economies are actually for. I believe we can do that. You know, you saw it with plastics, 40 yeah. years worth of people worrying about the impact of plastics but never really being talked about and then suddenly blue planet comes along mm. and it becomes a thing well that that's happened to climate change before it happened about 10 years ago it can happen again so i guess in a weird way i'm optimistic about the fact that people are starting 
to notice it. I just hope that we can, that the action can be roused quickly enough. So we like like climate change. We are running out of time. Um, sorry, dark dark joke. Um, but in your blog, you talked about three main things that we could actually do about this. And so, do you want to just take us through them really quickly? Yeah. So I think that the in general, I've been thinking about this for a while. What is it that we need? The we being society at large. You know, risk of generalizing. What is it that we need to get? What do we need to, when we say the left or the right aren't taking it seriously? So I think, firstly, a story is needed that takes climate change to the heart of the stuff that everyday people care about. A story about place and value and love and loss and these things that is actually about, you know, that was the the heat wave was, I say was, it's probably coming again in a week Mm. or so, was just a hint of, you know, this could mean serious changes to the way that you live And people, you know, with diaspora communities, people all around the world have got family that are much more impacted than we might have here. We collectively need to have that story, but we need to be looking to people who are representing us to make those connections as well. We need a proper set of genuinely exciting economic policies to run an economy as if we were serious about climate change. So in about nine different ways, we support fossil fuels still through our economic system, you know, directly through subsidising North Sea oil production, indirectly through ministers standing up and saying fracking is great. And and just last week, there were announcements that basically the solar feed-in tariff, the subsidy you get for renewable energy on your roof, that's basically being cut. So there's all of these sort of subsidies. And, and, and so what would it look like to totally flip that on its head? Let's have really exciting, ambitious plans for it, which are about saying, we're going to stop that, but it's all right, because we're going to do this stuff instead. And here's the incentives to do it in a way that don't freak people out and that do actually make our economy fairer as well as greener. And thirdly, let's start talking about work and culture and identity. You know, I really want to be a part of a conversation with trade unions, be part of a conversation with local places where in some parts of the UK, places like Aberdeen or Patolba or places like that, you've got entire communities, entire towns that kind of are built around something that's either incredibly energy intensive or incredibly fossil fuel producing or something else, um, something else similar, where one way or the other, we're going to have to just work out what we do about that. And the we is not me, the we are the people that live there. So how do we get the voices of people that work in those industries that want to see a better future heard and taken seriously? What else do they need? And how can we have that conversation? Those are the three things that I would prioritise. I mean, there's so many other things as well, right? Education. Mm. and But you've got you know, to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. Okay, wonderful. Uh, well, it's been, it has been a wonderful start and I feel slightly, slightly less panicky. It might be the rain, but it's also you, I think. You've really calmed me down. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Dave Powell from the New Economics Foundation for joining me. Now we ask everyone, where can people hear more from you if they want to? How can they do that? Uh, I'm on the Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. at PowellDS, S for sugar. Um, or uh, I have blogs popping up on the New Economics Foundation website as well, www.neweconomics.org. Or I also do a podcast in my spare time. It's not affiliated to work called Sustainababble. You can hear my banging on on that as well. Wonderful. And we will put some links to Dave's blog post in the notes for this episode. That's it for this week and indeed for this series. We're going to be taking a break and we'll be back in a few weeks. If you've enjoyed this series, please tell someone about it. As always, you can drop us a line with your comments, questions, feelings. We're at Weekly Econ Pod on Twitter. The Weekly Economics Podcast is produced by James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you in a few weeks.